Colossians chapter 4. We're looking at verses 10 through 11. Colossians chapter 4, verses uh, 10 through 11. And uh, how would you like to, uh, of course, you know, in some cultures this happens, but how would you like to have the name of Jesus? How would you like to be called Jesus? And then have to live up to that name, okay? How would you like that? And, uh, of course, in, in Hispanic cultures, the, the people do get named that. Uh, but the reality is, if you're in Christ this morning, that is your name. You are a Christian. You are a little Christ, and, and we are to live up to that name. Well, we're going to look at a guy today in the Bible whose name was Jesus. In fact, his name was Jesus Justice. And we're going to follow in his footsteps and learn a little bit more about how to make our mark, not just for this life, but for eternity, how to fulfill the ministry that God has given each one of us who are born again. And we're going to learn about it from Colossians chapter 4, 10 through 11. Guys only mentioned one time in Scripture, and this is the verse. Let's look at it. Colossians chapter 4, 10 through 11. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision, meaning they're Jewish, Jewish believers, among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. We're going to follow in the footsteps of justice. We'll call him justice for the sake of clarifying, you know, just calling somebody, we can't do it. That's why they called him justice. We're going to follow in the footsteps of justice. And here's what I want you to learn this morning, and it introduces the theme of our world outreach, be unashamed. Be unashamed. Live for the fame of Christ's name. I mean, we can say that. Be unashamed. Live for the fame of Christ's name. Can we say that all together? Let's say it together on three. One, two, three. Be unashamed. Live for the fame of Christ's name. That's what we're going to live from this, learn from this guy, a man who made his mark, Jesus Justice. Now, just a couple things to get to know the man before we see how he made his mark. First of all, he's mentioned in only once in the Bible, though there are three different men with that name of Justice. Okay, there's three different Justices in the Bible. And that's important. When you're doing a biographical study like we're doing in this series, you got to make sure you're, you're studying the same guy. Every, you know, so if you just plug in justice into your Bible software, you're going to get three different guys, and you're gonna, you might think he's the same guy. In Bible times, many people had the same name, just like right now in our day, many people have the same first name. But how do we tell people apart? By their last name. Back then, they didn't have last names. You just had your given name. And so how would you tell all these Johns and Justices? And, you know, in the Bible, there's five Marys. And you always read about them, and they're always saying, Mary, the sister of somebody, or Mary, the mother of somebody, or the daughter of somebody. The reason they're doing that is they don't have last names. And there's tons of people running around with these names. And so they would we would tell it. Um, justice, or Jesus, rather, is the Hebrew name. Joshua. It's just the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. And a lot of people in, 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 that, in the first century would be named Joshua. Why? Because he was one of the big heroes of the Old Testament. And so you would get another name in order to identify who you are. We did this in English. Uh, we, it used to be in, uh, 
early history, you'd say, Joe, the son of John, or Joe, John's son, which became Joe Johnson. All right, that's how that works. Or you would say, Charlie of the Woods. You know, the guy lives over there in the woods. Charlie of the Woods, which would become what? Charlie Woods. All right? Or you'd say, Sam the Silversmith. You know, Sam. Which Sam are you talking about? Sam the Silversmith. Oh, you mean Sam, and then it would become Sam Smith. So that's how these names have evolved. So it happens in English, same way in, um, in Jewish and, and Greek culture. And there you see the three different guys. Uh, and you can see how they each have an additional name besides justice so you can tell them apart. Well, enough on that. Like so many Jewish people at his time, justice had a Jewish name and a Roman name. So let's look at these two names. First of all, his Greek, his, his name Jesus is a Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. What does Joshua mean? Joshua means Yahweh saves, or I am who I am, the, the, the special name of God in the Old Testament. The Lord saves. In the Bible, in your English translations, it's often Lord in all caps. All right? So Joshua, or Jesus, means the Lord saves. That's why in Matthew 1.21, this is why Jesus has the name that he has. Listen to Matthew 1.21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, the beauty of that is a lot of people ran around calling their kids Jesus or Joshua. The unique thing about Jesus was he wasn't just saying, hey, the Lord says saves. What was he saying? I am the Lord who saves. Call this one Jesus because he is the Lord who saves. He's going to do what his name claims for him. Jesus is God, and he's the only savior of humanity. Well, Jesus, since there were so many running around, took a second name, and it was Justice. What's that mean? You can hear it in the English. It means justice. It means one who is just, uh, literally one who is righteous. Now, why did this Jesus take this second name? Could be two reasons. One, I've been talking about it. A lot of people had that name, and so to tell the difference, and because he's living in a Roman culture, he's like, hey, I, I'm not going to go by Jesus or Joshua. I'm going to go by justice. It's a more Roman name. Righteous. One who is righteous. One who is just. But there's a very good possibility that justice may have taken this name once he was converted because he didn't want to share in the name of his Savior. He wanted to honor Jesus' name above all names. So he said, don't call me Jesus anymore. There's really only one Jesus, one Savior. He saved me. Just call me the righteous one. Now you might say, man, to go around and tell people, call me the righteous one. Okay, think about that. Hey, what's your name? Righteous. But you know what? Everyone here who knows Christ as Savior and Lord, can introduce yourself that way. As long as you use the first name to explain why you have the second name. Hi, you can call me the righteous one. Not because of anything I have done, but because of Jesus. Jesus saves. The Lord saves. And through his finished work, through his perfect life, he has made me a righteous one. And though I fall short and I still sin, in his eyes 
and on the basis of what Christ has done, I am just. Call me justice. I am righteous. Call me the righteous one. Here's what I want you to see about this man who's mentioned only one time in the scriptures, and it's this. Jesus Justice's name proclaims the fame of God's name. Jesus Justice's name proclaims the fame of God's name. I love it. I love it. Jesus, you, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Justice, righteous. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our, for our sake he made him who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. This guy is only mentioned once. That's all you got to mention. You know, we need to be witnessing. We need to be unashamed. That's what world outreach is going to be about. And we get all, and I'm, I'm just as bad, we get all nervous and all upset about How do I witness? It's really simple. Jesus justice. I know a man by the name of Jesus who can make you right with God. I've met him. He's done it for me. He can do it for you. Would you like to hear about him? It really is that simple. Now, nod like, you, like you, you're half convinced. This is beautiful. How did, Jesus, how did justice make his mark when no one really knows who he is? Here's the deal. He lived for the fame of Christ's name. He lived for the fame of Christ's name and not his own. I, I, it's just wonderful. You don't know anything about the guy except his name. Except that's all you need to know about the guy. Because that's the name that he lived for. He lived for the fame of God's name. And he was unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how do you make your mark? Well, believe it or not, in this one verse, we'll see five principles by which you and I can measure whether we're ashamed of the gospel or not. You can measure whether you're ready for these guys to be coming in the weeks ahead for our world outreach. You can figure out, I can figure out, are we living for the fame of his name? Let's look at it. Be unashamed to, number one, become a Christ follower. That's the first step. If you're going to live for the fame of the name, then you've got to know the name. Make the great exchange. Jesus, who is called justice. And again, I go back to 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In that is laid out the whole gospel plan. It's the great exchange. Hello, the only thing I have to offer God is my sin. And if you think you've got something to offer God other than sin, then you have greater sin to offer him. Listen, even our best day is tainted with our selfish motives. The Bible says, Our righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God's holiness. Listen, on our best day, all we have to offer is our sin. So, we offer him our sin, and what does he offer us in exchange? His righteousness. Now, for some of you, this is the simple gospel you've heard for years, and that's the danger. You've heard it for years. And we've begun to take it for granted. In fact, we've begun to think that we earned His righteousness because we've been saved so long. But the reality is we all need the great exchange. 
it's a great exchange. We give Christ our sins. Christ gives us his righteousness as a free gift when we turn to him by faith from our sins to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the reality. We keep seeing this through the series. Once you experience the great exchange, that's not the end point. That's the beginning point. We get his righteousness so that we can serve him in righteousness. We get his righteousness so that we can learn to do right for others. We get his righteousness so we can share with others how they can get right with God. So we're saved to serve. Now, I guess the question is not, and I have this in your notes, should we be serving Christ through our local church? That's not the question. We think it is. Do I want to serve? Do I want to come to world outreach? You know, Do I, do I, do I? We live in a world of options, more options than we've ever had. Technology is inundating us with options. And if we're not careful, we're going to take that into our Christian life and think the Christian life is one big option. Well, the question is not, should I be serving Christ through our church? The question is, where am I serving and how am I going to do it? The question is, where am I serving and how? See, the question really is, am I truly saved? Am I a Christ follower? Or as we're hearing upstairs, am I just a fan? Those who are truly saved get involved in ministry out of a heart of gratitude for having received the great exchange. So see, I refused in the series to skip over this basic point, become a Christ follower, because here's the reality. If you're going to get involved in ministry, it has to be out of a heart of gratitude for what Christ has already done. You say, well, I'm not sure what he's done is worthy of me getting involved then you've got to go back and ask, do you really understand what he's done? And to really understand what he's done, you've got to understand how sinful you and I are and how holy he is and how great the exchange is. And as we begin to ponder the great exchange, we realize, you know what? Anything I have to give up to get involved in ministry is not worth what Christ has done for me. Any obstacle, and there's tons of them. Amen? There's as many obstacles and excuses for getting into ministry as there are people in this room, multiplied by 100. And the reality is you can pile them all up and we could write them all over these walls and all we'd have to do is look at the cross and understand that nothing I have to give up, nothing that's in my way is, is big enough to stop me from serving the one who became sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God. So that's the first principle. If you're going to live for the fame of his name, become a Christ follower, not a fan, and experience the great exchange. Number two, be unashamed to become a team player. Become a team player. Get in the game. Notice what it says. Greet Jesus, who is called Justice, one of my fellow workers. One of my fellow workers. I want to take those three words my fellow workers, and we can break that down, and we're going to see three principles that are powerful. Just in those three words, there's three principles about living for the fame of his name. Let's look at it. First of all, ministry is hard work. Can I hear an amen? Oh, boy, boy, they were responsive, Toby. On that. They, were responsive. they were good on that. Okay, ministry is hard work. Do you realize the word for worker here? Paul uses two different Greek words for ministry in the Bible. 
And, 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 and both words he also uses in other contexts for manual labor. Okay? We tend to think work, ministry. Okay? Two words. He uses two Greek words, and both words for ministry, work and labor, he also uses for manual labor. What does that tell us? Okay, this isn't, you know, you don't have to, this isn't, you know, rocket science. It means ministry is what? Hard work. It's like manual labor. It's like getting calluses. It's like getting sore. It's like being exhausted. Ministry is hard work. You say, wait a minute, Chris, I thought you were recruiting people for ministry. Yeah, I am. For real ministry. See, that's the problem. We're selling people a carrot and then, you know, hey, get all fulfilled. Find your true meaning. It's all fun and exciting. And then they get involved in ministry and they realize it's mundane, boring, and very ordinary. Can I hear an amen on that? Yeah. Yeah, it really is. There are aspects that are exciting, but it's just like being in the military. Remember, we're supposed to be soldiers for the Lord. You know, long, I don't know how the military, I, I've heard it. I can't, I'm, I can't remember. You know, long uh, periods of boredom marked by sheer terror. That's pretty much ministry. Long aspects of just doing the routine, and then all of a sudden, whoo, God shows up, scares the pants off you, and then everything settles down again. Now, ministry is hard work. This blows apart two modern myths about ministry. Let me give them to you. The first one is this, that ministry should always be fun. Did you ever think that? Ministry should always be fun. Some people think that. Hey, this is fun. I want to do this every week. Great, I'll sign up. And then what happens? They realize, listen, Paul doesn't call ministry fun. He calls it work. Okay, that's what we always do this in our house. Uh, Gwen or I will come home and, and uh, do the typical debrief, a little bit of complaining about the job and that kind of thing. And, and I'll always say, you know, Gwen, that's why they call it work. You know, if it was fun, we'd call it vacation. You know, I mean, that's how it works. He doesn't call ministry fun. Hey, my fellow funny guys, you know, fun guys. He says, hey, my fellow laborers, my fellow workers. Now, I'm not saying, and Paul's not saying, that you never have fun in ministry. Some of the best fun I've ever had has been in ministry. Ministry is fun. There are periods of fun. But you know what makes it fun? The sheer hard work of it with other people. The sheer fact that the work that I've done is for the glory of God. I remember in seminary having Greek and Hebrew and just a full load. And uh, if you want to you know, question whether ministry is hard work, then you go to grad school and study the, the original languages, and it was heavy, and it was hard, and it was it was intense. On top of that, my friend and I, some of you know Tim, we were involved in ministry with our uh, Korean-American youth, and so that meant studies, Bible studies with the kids, come home, stay up late doing homework for school, weekends filled with, uh, and I remember one particular weekend, we did a missions conference for the kids full-blown missions conference for our youth group. And I remember coming back to my apartment and uh, on a Sunday and just, you know, realizing, okay, i got hours of homework still ahead of me. And coming home and just pulling into the driveway before this apartment, it had hardly any furniture, and just pulling in and shutting the car off and just a wave of fulfillment just flowing over me. Man, I I was exhausted. I was tired. 
what a rewarding time. All right, now I got to go do work. Now I got to go. All I'm trying to say to you is joy in ministry is a byproduct of working hard with others to advance God's kingdom. Joy is a byproduct of seeing lost people saved and saved people growing. Joy is a byproduct of helping people know Christ, grow in Christ, show Christ, and going with Christ. But listen, ministry is hard work. The second myth is that ministry should never be hard. Uh, In other words, that uh, ministry should always be easy, carefree. We get this idea that if I'll find my niche and work according to my shape, then everything will go easy. And there's a lot of people in Christianity in America who are still looking for their ministry because every time they enter into ministry, it's hard, and they think, well, this must not be my shape. Granted, when you find your niche in ministry, when you operate through your gift, things go a lot smoother and a lot better. But ministry doesn't get any easier, per se. It's still hard. Ministry is hard work. Last fall, I put in some landscaping around our front tree, and I moved a load of dirt, ton and a half or something like that. I don't know what it was. It was just a ton of work. I mean, it, I, I know this. I thought I was getting a lot, and I paid a lot, and it didn't seem that much when it came. But then it got bigger as I moved it. And, uh, and I had a day and a half. I had very limited time, day and a half, and I had to get that done. And I hadn't done work like that for a while. And, man, I'm telling you what, I was so sore, even while I was doing it. I had all sorts of thoughts about aging, different, just different thoughts. But I'm telling you what, as soon as it's done, it, no matter how bad it hurt, I could look out my picture window and I could see that finished work, and it made the joy of it better for how hard it was to do it. And that's how you got to look about ministry. Okay, here's the second principle. Just from my fellow laborers, ministry is teamwork. The second principle is this, ministry is teamwork. Justin was not just a worker for the kingdom of God and the fame of God's name. He was a fellow worker with other Christians. Paul, Mark, Aristarchus, Tychius, Onesimus, and the seven other people mentioned in this passage. He was a fellow or a co-worker with the church at Rome where he was at, with the churches in Asia, Colossae, Ephesus, Laodicea. Ministry is never meant to be done in isolation from others. I I see there's a new... uh, Lone Ranger movie coming out. You see that? And Johnny Depp is Tonto. Okay, you just got to go see it for that reason alone. I know my wife will. Now, listen, here's the deal. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. Nobody does ministry alone. You just don't do ministry alone. So if you're going to follow in the footsteps of justice, then get involved in a ministry team. Now, upstairs, we're going to have a list. There's in your bulletin, there's a whole list of ministry teams that you can get involved in. So get in, the, get in the game. Now, here's another way that ministry is teamwork. We're going to have the world outreach in a couple weeks. You come to that. Make it a priority to come. Move your schedule. Take a day off from work, a night off from work. Some of you work nights. Come to this, and you're going to learn how to partner with churches around the world to literally get the gospel where people have never heard the gospel. See, you may never do that. Alone, I can't do that. But as we partner with these missionaries, Roger and Lynn are literally going to an island where there is a Muslim population where nobody knows Jesus, and they're going to live among them. You're going to learn about that. You're going to hear about that. You can become a part of that team 
as you get involved in our missions ministry here. Here's the third principle. Ministry is gospel work. It's hard work. It's teamwork. The third principle is ministry is gospel work. Notice he says uh, justice is not just a worker. He's a fellow worker of who? Paul. He's my fellow worker. He's on Paul's ministry team. Now, when you're on Paul's ministry team, what does that mean you're in for? What? I hear mumbling. <laughs> That's what Paul would be in for. What, no, what, what, what are you in for? Pain and suffering. Okay. You're in for shipwreck. Be, you know, uh, I, I was going to put stoned, but, you know, stoning, you know, stoned, you know, stoning. You're in for jail. Okay. You're in, you, here, here's what these guys are called on his ministry. Here, here, here's the titles you get on Paul's ministry team. Fellow slave, fellow soldier, fellow prisoner, okay? My fellow workers. Why would these people put up with this? Why would they put up with it? There's only one reason, the gospel. The gospel, because of the great exchange. Ministry is gospel work. Why do you put up with, fill in the blank, whatever you're having to put up with here in ministry in our church? Oh, I know you have your little list. You know, we all do. I do too. Why do I put up with it? Why do you put up with it? Well, here's the only reason worth putting up with. Because of the gospel. We're doing gospel work. And gospel work means I die in order to be risen with him. I die to self. I surrender my... All the principles we're learning in this series. It's all for Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul said. In the same prison... Writing to the Philippians, here's what he says. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He's in jail for doing ministry. And here's what he says in verse 12. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, hard work, teamwork, gospel work. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Listen, every moment I live, the more I am looking forward to getting out of here and being with Jesus. But listen to what he says. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may always have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Listen, that's what being unashamed is all about. Become a team player. Get in the game. Join a ministry team. Number three, be unashamed and become a bridge builder. Become a bridge builder. Share Christ across cultural, social, and racial barriers. Look again at Colossians 4.11. Be a bridge builder. Look again at Colossians 4.11. He says of these three men, Aristarchus, Mark, 
and Jesus, who is called Justice. He says, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers. I told you that he has worked with as many as 40-odd people. He had a close circle of 10, and yet in that 10, there was only three Jewish believers. Why? You know why? A couple reasons. One, because he was the apostle to the Gentiles. Because it meant to hang with Paul in ministry meant crossing social, racial, cultural, economic barriers to share Christ. And let's just get honest. We don't enjoy doing that. Because that's not easy. It's uncomfortable. Do you agree? You ever hung out with people radically different than you? How often? How long? I walk away and go, okay, I mean, well, I'm a little weird. I, I, have, I enjoy it. But I, I also walk away going, well, I'm a little worn out, relating to people who are different than me, putting myself in their shoes, being uncomfortable because I'm not on my turf, eating food that I'm not used to eating, realizing my jokes don't mean anything in their culture. Are, are, are you with me? Realizing that the things that I like to do, they can't afford to do. Realizing that this is hard. This is hard reaching people for Christ who are different than me. As one Bible student put it, well, let me put it this way. These were the only three Jewish Christians who shared Paul's passion to reach across racial barriers and share the gospel with all peoples all tribes, and all languages. I don't think that this means that these were the only Jewish Christians who believed in reaching Gentiles. He's in the church at Rome. What I believe is these are the only three who were willing to put their lives where their beliefs were. Now, longer I live and minister, what I've found, it's interesting. Some of the most missions-minded people can be some of the most bigoted, racist, or unloving towards other culture people. And if we're not careful, right here in this room, any one of us, including myself, can be that way. We can come to World Outreach for a week. We can give a lot to missions, ministry in our church, and I hope you do. That's a worthy thing. But the question is, this past week, did we say any ethnic joke? Did we laugh at any racial comment? Did we watch the news and have any hateful thoughts? Is this big racial divide that's not only economic but also ethnic, is that beginning to seep into our mentality because it's really hostile out there? Are you with me? I don't know about you, but I get squeezed into the world's mold, and all of a sudden I'm like, man, I've got a heart for the nations, but out of my mouth is coming things, or in my thoughts are coming things that aren't consistent with Christ's love for all people. God has placed our church strategically in the midst of a community that's as diverse as our nation is already is. Not becoming, it already is. 
And if your goal is to run and hide to the suburbs or run and hide to an ethnic enclave that is where people look like you, talk like you, smell like you, and act like you, good luck, because that America is past. And we can grieve aspects of that, but we also need to embrace the reality of today. Amen? And here's the sad thing. Most American Christians will not do that. Only three of these Jewish believers were willing to move into actually sacrificing and building bridges to other ethnic cultures, social, ethnic, racial. You get the idea, even if I can't say it. Hey, this is Jesus' justice is teaching me all sorts of things today. Is he teaching you anything? Powerful stuff. Guys mentioned once in Scripture. He's living for the fame of God's name. He says, you know what? I'm going to move out of my Jewish comfort zone, and I'm going to reach Gentiles for Jesus. Tie me up. I'm going to move out of my comfort zone. You know what? And here's the thing. If and, and, And I'm not trying to get on you, because so many of you do this, live this. I'm not... My burden is for those that are missing out. And I'm just going to try to challenge you. Come to World Outreach. Because here's the deal. If we can't come to World Outreach in this environment and be among usans and learn about other cultures, how are we ever going to go to other cultures? Are you getting Rub shoulders with these people. Ask them stories. Ask them. Do you ever, like, hate the people you're trying to reach? Because you know what? You and I do. Don't we? Well, Kobe and I do. You know, you ever get irritated, frustrated? God save that person. I hate him so much. You know, I mean, that's how you know that's how we are. If we'd ever pray honestly, actually, what we do is, oh, God save them. And then we go and then we gripe about it. You know, anyway, you know the story. All right, here's the deal. Being a bridge builder is not easy because you can. Here's two things that it means. Being a bridge builder that crosses barriers is never popular. It often means being persecuted by unbelieving people. Here's the reality. (laughs) There's a segment in our population. Well, anyway, here's the idea. Here's the idea. Lost people talk a lot about ethnic equality. But you really dig down into it. Very few of them understand what that really means and really live it out in their personal life. Well, they may cast their vote in that direction. They may throw some money in that direction. But how many really live? And when you start penetrating another culture with the gospel, oh, man, there's persecution. That's what Paul experienced. His fiercest persecution came from his own unbelieving Jewish people, and it broke his heart. There's a second reality. Often it means being mistreated by believing people. Oh. You know, and and I thankfully, our church predominantly is not this way. But you go to the South, maybe in the South, where someone gets a hold of, of the desire to reach all peoples, You bring in ethnic differences into the church, and I tell you some of the most ferocious, 
backlash will come from believers saying, oh, you know, we want to reach them. We just don't want to reach them here. We, 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 want, we want to send the gospel to them, but we don't want to bring them to us. Well, I thank God we really do have a pretty diverse church. But I want to challenge you in a couple areas, and here they are. First is this. Get to know some of the people in our church with a different ethnic background. See, you, you can still hang out with your own, even in a church our size. So let me challenge you to sit with someone different in the service, in class, upstairs. Take someone to lunch that's ethnically or socially or, or you know, and I guess don't invite them today because they'll think, oh, you're applying. You know, I, <laughs> but uh, invite them to lunch. Invite them into your home. Get to know them. Those are some great things just to do right here in our church. Come to the World Outreach. Meet some really dedicated bridge builders who've left their comfort zone to reach another people. Come to Trunk or Treat. You know, here's the thing. Come to Trunk or Treat and hand out candy in this community that is vastly different than the community outside your door. Come and bridge, build bridges. There's plenty of people in your neighborhood handing out candy. You say, well, I want to reach my neighbors. You're not going to reach your neighbors on Halloween. You know, by handing out candy like everybody else is handing out candy. I mean, you can. I'm not saying that's bad. If you choose to do that with your time, you're welcome to do that. But I want to challenge you to do something different and reach some people and build some bridges to some people that are different than you. Just, I'm, you know, it's safe. It's really safe. And you don't really have to talk to them. You can talk. But you know what I'm saying. Reach out. Reach out. Do something different to reach another culture. Well, what's going to motivate you to do this? Principle number four. Principle number four. Become kingdom-minded. Become kingdom-minded. Invest in building God's kingdom and not your, no, your own. What's going to motivate you to go beyond your comfort zone? And what motivates me is the kingdom of God. Notice what these guys are. They are workers for the kingdom of God. Workers for the kingdom of God. And I think there's a reason why he attaches this to these Jewish believers. And it's not because the kingdom is just for the Jews, but it does come from the Jews. There's so much, there's so much theology packed in that one phrase. But let me unpack a little bit of it. First of all, the kingdom of God and his son is bigger than any nationality, country, or language. Revelation 5 says this, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal, so you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, and language, and people, and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Listen, the kingdom of God is greater than even the people of Israel. The kingdom of God is greater than any ethnic group, any language. We're to be workers for the kingdom of God. We're to try to reach everybody. We can target particular people. We can go for a particular target, and we need to, because if you don't aim for anything, you won't hit it. But in reaching that target, we also do not keep anyone out or set anyone to the side and not allow them to hear the gospel. Here's the second principle I want you to get out of this. Christ's first coming revealed the servant king who began to call his subjects to repentance. Look at Colossians chapter 1, 11 through 14. 
Colossians 1, 11 through 14. I'm trying to help you to have a paradigm shift, a little shift in your thinking about what you're doing in ministry, and, and maybe this will help. Colossians 1, 11 through 14. Here's Paul's prayer for the Colossians. Listen to what he says. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. There's the hard work. Giving thanks to the Father who has done what? Qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He just said, that's just another way of saying the kingdom of God. God has qualified you to share in his kingdom promises that he originally only made to the Jewish people, but in Christ, we Gentiles get in on it. But look, there's more. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. We're in God's kingdom now. We're in the kingdom now. Is the kingdom here? No. Are you in it? Yes. Is it here? No. Are you in it? Yes. And every time you share the gospel with someone, you're doing kingdom work. Every time you share the gospel and someone receives it, they enter into God's kingdom and they become a subject of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's really cool. And here's the third principle. Christ's second coming will reveal the sovereign king. See, the first time he came, no one recognized him. He was a servant. But the second coming is going to reveal that he truly was, the servant is the sovereign. And it's going to reveal all his saved subjects. No one's going to be able to fake it. All the fans will disappear and it will only be the followers. And his sovereign rule over the entire realm will be revealed. Now, here's what you got to think. You got to think, we live in the now, not yet. We live in the now, not yet. And let me take you again. I'm trying to stay with Colossians. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Look at Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Here's, here's how you got to think. Here's how kingdom-minded people live. Here's how they think. Look at Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, is, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with Him in glory. Now, here's the reality. The reason the vast majority of Jewish people did not accept Christ is because they were looking for the wrong kingdom. They were looking for a physical kingdom with a physical deliverer to free them from Rome. And because that was their concept, when Jesus showed up and said, I'm the king, they said, we don't want you. We've got our own kingdom thing going over here. The Pharisees said that. They said, look, if we acknowledge that you're king, and we know that you are, by the way, if we acknowledge that, then we're not the top dogs anymore in our little religious kingdom we got going on. Now, here's the reality. Every one of us, before, before we got saved, were the king of our kingdom. We were the king of our family. We're the king of our, our work. We're the king of our life. We're the king of our, we're the king of our schedule. And then Jesus comes and says, I'm the king. And we have a choice. Are we going to accept him or are we going to live for my kingdom? 
But then here's the thing. When you accept him, you enter into his kingdom, but you still got to live in this world, and you're living in this now, not yet thing. And you got to set your mind on the kingdom and make decisions. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If I could just challenge you with that one thought today. Are my priorities kingdom priorities? Does my day timer, does my iPod, does my iPad, whatever you keep your schedule on, does it reflect kingdom priorities? Think about this. Our king has come, but he's coming again. Now, not yet. We are subjects of the kingdom, and yet the kingdom is not yet here. Now, not yet. This church is a kingdom outpost, and yet the church is not the kingdom. See, here we're, we're a kingdom outpost. People ought to be able to come into our church and go, oh, that's what the kingdom's going to be. Our king has all authority in heaven and on earth, and yet the world is still in rebellion and the work is hard. Well, what does this all mean? Principle number five. What does this all mean? It means become unashamed. Encourage others to live for the fame of his name. I want to end with this. The last description of these guys, these kingdom workers, is, and they comforted me, and they have been a comfort to me. I love that. Now, some of you are saying, man, Chris, this kingdom stuff, now, not yet. I'm all confused. I just wish you would make it simple. You know, this doesn't seem practical to what I'm struggling with. I've got real needs, and you're talking all this theology. Well, guess what? Paul just talked. I just talked about what Paul just wrote about. And then he ends with this. And they have been a comfort to me. And that word comfort means to comfort someone who's facing death. I don't know how more practical you can get than to be in prison with a guy who's facing execution. You know, I don't know how more practical you can do than bring this guy food. That if he doesn't get food, no one's going to feed him. Rome didn't feed him. He had to have friends feed him or he starved. See, here, here's what I want you to see, is being unashamed for the gospel gets real personal and it gets real practical when we realize that just giving a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus is kingdom work when we do it for the king. And I've been growing in this. In learning this, I haven't arrived. I'm not saying that, but I am sharing with you out of my life that just when someone comes here and, and they, they, they want, sometimes they come in and they want water. They want to use the water fountain. Well, I come down, I give them a bottle of water. And I want to tell you, I give this to you in the name of Jesus because he's done so much for me. Here's a bottle of water. But do we think that way? Do we think that way? Well, be unashamed to share the gospel with all people. Let's end with this. Am I a Christ follower? Make the great exchange this morning. Am I a team player? If not, get in the game. Am I a bridge builder? Think about sharing Christ and loving people that are different from you. Am I kingdom-minded? Invest in building God's kingdom and not your own. Am I unashamed? Encourage others to live for the fame of Christ's name. One of the best ways you can encourage our missionaries in the next couple of weeks, is to be here and to just go up to them and say, Hi, my name's Chris, and I just want to give you a hug. Because I know you've left family, 
and you've left your comfort zone and you're risking and giving the gospel to people that I will never meet and I may never know, but I give out of my money so that you can be there and I'm giving up my time so I can encourage you. And throughout this year, I've been praying for you and I just want to tell you thanks for being here. It's really that simple, but it's really that Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, this guy who is known nothing other than his name can teach us so much and reveal how far we need to grow still. And so I pray that we will grow. I pray that we will live for the fame of your name, that we will grow in boldness in these coming weeks as we hear from our missionaries, as we think about, why is it that I'm on this planet? Why did God save me? It's so that I would live for the fame of His name. I've been identified with Him, and He's made me just and righteous. And out of gratitude, I want to share that with others, even if they're different from me. So Lord, I pray that you would bless each person here. Whatever the application is for each of us, you apply it uniquely, and you enable us to be different than what we were when we walked in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.